0: joining us. My name is Katie Heinley, and this is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make it fisheries science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Pod. If you're the generous sort, you can be like Garrett, Ben, Jerry, Janet, Robin, and John and support the podcast on Patreon with either a recurring or one-time donation. This helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, stickers, and face masks on our Teespring store. Today's interview is a bit different than usual, as I am interviewing one of the candidates for the second vice president of AFS, Dr. Margaret Murphy. In a future episode, Elise Hayden will be interviewing the other candidate. Margaret grew up and spent most of her life in New York before moving to Rutland, Vermont. She received her bachelor's of science in biology from Siena College in Albany, New York, and both her master's and PhD from the State University of New York College of Environmental Science and Forestry in Syracuse. Margaret's research focused on Atlantic salmon restoration in Lake Ontario tributaries with a focus on habitat suitability, overwinter survival and growth, and bioenergetics modeling for juveniles. Margaret spent most of her career in environmental consulting at several firms, including owning her own firm for four years. She is an adjunct professor at SUNY ESF, was co-PI on a Sea Grant project, taught classes, and was an advisor for several graduate students. Currently, Margaret is a fisheries program manager for the Vermont Fish and Wildlife Department, supervising several biologists, as well as much of the work on Lake Champlain. Welcome to the podcast, Margaret. Thank you. Glad to be here. I always like hearing about people's backgrounds. So can you tell me where your interest
1: in fisheries first began? Sure. I grew up, you know, as I said, in, in Syracuse, and we had a camp in the Adirondacks right on the lake. was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time there and spent most of my days fishing, uh, mostly for perch, catching them off the dock and learned how to, to clean them. And uh, I, I will admit I do not care for a fish as, as a food source, <laughs> unfortunately, but uh, I loved everything else about them. So spent a lot of time out there either you know hunting worms and just days out on the dock trying to outsmart the fish. Also did some smelting. When I was young, smelting was still allowed in the in the tributary, so during their spawning run um, out of the lake. So we would you know get the lanterns out and get our buckets and nets and and go out. So that was always always fun to be out at night and fishing. And I really have to say my grandmother inspired me. I remember her going out. She'd always get her fishing license. I got to be honest, I don't remember her catching a lot of fish, but she would go out in the boat. My aunt would row and she'd be out out there fishing. I think she just loved just being out on the water and, you know, trying to to outsmart the fish and and just happy to maybe be out and away from all, all of us kids and enjoying some quiet on the water. And then, as as the years went on, I did notice declines in what we were catching and and how much we used to be able to kind of fill the stringers uh, with with perch. And as as I got older, noticed they weren't quite as easy to catch and there weren't quite as many around. So, it got me thinking more about water quality issues and development. The lake we're on is is pretty heavily developed and you know, water quality was definitely an issue with septic systems flowing right into the lake before the, the Watershed Association formed. So really got me thinking about kind of that holistic of like, all right, if all of this is happening, is this why I'm not seeing any fish? So really got interested from that perspective. And then, you know, through my undergrad, really just loved biology. And all I knew to do with biology was to become a doctor, a medical doctor. And so once, once I learned by junior year that, you know, you could go fishing for a career and I'd <laughs> be outside and, and do what you love, it really turned it around for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think that leads in pretty well. So from
0: your bio, you've worked a, a number of different positions. Could you talk a bit about that path to your current work with Vermont Fish and Wildlife? Certainly.
1: Yeah, um, I think like most of us, our, our paths are not straight and very, very convoluted. As I mentioned, I was pre-med for, you know, through junior year and then really learned more about ecology and and fish and wildlife as a career. So ended up going on to to grad school, was fortunate to um, be advised by Dr. Neil Ringler. He took me on. I didn't have a, a super high GPA, so I was concerned about getting in, but made it and really was happy to do either fisheries or wildlife and fell in with with Dr. Ringler and fisheries. And I mean, it made sense as I look back. I mean, I loved the water and and fishing. So having that opportunity was just amazing. And coming out of my master's, had two two small kids at that point, so I had two kids through through grad school, and and really wanted to stay local, and and ended up in consulting that way. There's a big project starting up on Onondaga Lake, which was once known as the most polluted lake in the country, but the remedial investigation was starting, and they needed somebody to run the local local work. So I was fortunate to get hired and started that. And after several years at that firm, which was then known as PTI, it's now exponent, um, but they were based on the West Coast. So as the, the field work kind of wrapped up, I then moved over to O'Brien and Gear Engineers, which was in Syracuse and and continued work on contaminated sediments, uh, ecological risk assessments, um, always really pushing the fisheries focus and, and trying to think about all the work I did um, and these cleanup efforts were for me, were from the fish perspective, not the human one. So what is what do the fish need? What does that ecosystem need to support fish? Which I, I think most people appreciate it. I don't know if the engineers always liked it because, yeah, you know, biology is is shades of gray and engineering is black and white. Um, so just bringing that perspective, I, I thought was, was really helpful. We got to the point where I was ready for a transition and went back for my PhD, hoping for maybe an academic career. I really wanted to teach. I really wanted to interact with students and provide the knowledge I had gained in consulting back to the school environment. A lot of our professors don't get outside of academia. Um, so I wanted to bring that perspective of what other, what other jobs are out there? What other needs are there for fisheries biologists? Finished up the PhD and, and got pulled back into consulting job. I, I mean, I, was offered a job and had, you know, again, I had the, the kids and family to, to yeah. help support. So I went back and continued working on Hudson River investigation, did some work out west, did work in the middle of the country, did work down at Cape Canaveral. I mean, it was a variety of projects. So I really got around and got to see a lot of things and, and learn about fisheries around the country. I do have to admit that consulting was challenging for me. When I first went into consulting, I, I didn't know anybody else in it. Um, from fisheries mm-hmm. and I felt like I was going to the dark side. I was like, oh man, now I'm like still in my soul and now fighting for industry. But mm-hmm. I never fought for industry I, and consultants shouldn't fight for who they're hired by. I, I really feel the consultant's role is to be that mediator. There's regulations that need to be upheld. There's industry that we need those jobs. We need those industries out there. We rely on them. So I, mm-hmm. my job, I, I looked at as how do I get them to do their job in the most environmentally friendly way? So, I really focused on that and and conveyed that to people, and was willing to step up and say, "Nope, I don't agree i I don't want to be involved in this it's you know it's not the way i would you know i I would recommend doing it um so I think that was pretty well respected. Then moved to the Adirondacks, and after a couple of years there, I was working remotely and teleworking three days a week and then going to an office about an hour and a half away um after a few years, I got laid off um so here I was the middle of the Adirondacks, which is where I really wanted to be <laughs> without a job. Mm-hmm. So I decided to start up my own shop, and it was, it was challenging. I mean, running your own business is definitely a challenge. I was, you know, I did it myself. I didn't have employees. I, I never got to that point, but there's a lot of fisheries and habitat restoration work that is really needed in the Adirondacks and, and there's not enough people doing the work. So I really was hoping to to fill that gap and I did for, for four years and then just Really didn't want to be a businesswoman. I wanted to be a. I sci- am yeah. a scientist. <laughs> yeah. um, and running your own firm, I mean, about half your time is spent running a business. So uh, uh-huh. I missed the science. I missed interacting with other scientists and collaborating uh, more. And the job opened up here in in Vermont for a fish program manager, and and I was offered it. So I then moved to Vermont, and now have a. A career in a state agency, which I think people scratch their heads out. They're like, usually people do it the opposite way, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually. I mean, I, I I'm loving it. It's it's great. It's a, the people I work with are amazing. They're they're passionate. They love what they do. Um, it's very supportive. It's a small state. There's not a lot of bureaucracy, so I feel like we can we can make a big difference and and get a lot of things done. So I have also maintained kind of my my teaching credentials I have taught a few courses both at SUNY ESF and at the Community College of Vermont again that mentorship and teaching the future I think is is really important and helping them to get a a, a well-rounded understanding of of what the issues are I usually tell the students to to don't specialize too soon build yourself a really big base because all those things come back like how many of us wish we had a really good business course or accounting course that It was never part of our curriculum as as bio majors or or environmental science majors. So really getting that solid foundation. There's plenty of time to specialize, but having that understanding and and building empathy for what other people do, I think is really important as well. So I'm happy to be here in Vermont and I no longer have to like fight every day for a paycheck and and I still do what I love. Yeah, that's awesome. I've definitely
0: seen some environmental consulting jobs, but haven't considered their perspective of being an owner and like pulling in clients and stuff like that. So yeah. (laughs) Is there anything else you would like to chat about career wise before we jump into our, our VP specific questions?
1: No, I mean, I would just say that, you know, I mean, being a woman in this field when I started was, was definitely a challenge. It's been nice to see that grow. Mm -hmm. You know, I, as I was in consulting, I definitely fought for those younger women that came on board and, you know, and they did tell me they appreciate it, but I was like, I don't want you to have to experience what I have. Let's, let's keep it moving. So it, I am pleased to, to see that changing. It still takes, still takes time to get rid of some of those old mentalities, but um, yeah. I, I think I've been really pleased to, to see the number of women that, that have really, you know, come on board and and have a strong voice and aren't afraid Mm -hmm. to speak up. You know, when you're the only woman, it's hard to fight for yourself, but having more of a, a support system with other women around is, is really great to see. And and I think it's just going to help the field even more. I think, you know, women and men working together solve problems a lot better than, than just men on their own or even women on their own. So Mm -hmm. I, I like seeing the diversity that, that is starting to increase there. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So we're really doing this interview, and uh, Elise is doing her interview as well, to give people a chance to hear from the second vice president candidates for AFS. So how did you first get involved with AFS?
1: Yeah, it wasn't until grad school. So Neil Ringler, my major professor, was the, the advisor for the SUNY ESF chapter of AFS. And I think within my first year, I was I became president of the chapter. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he definitely pushed and supported that. And... I mean, I've loved it ever since. I, I was involved with the New York chapter as well, went to the, my first chapter meeting. Um, I got to meet all the people, went to my first AFS meeting was in Pittsburgh in the early 90s. So good road trip with the grad students and Wrangler. And it was, to me, it's just amazing to to think about like all these researchers that you read all their work and then you meet them and mm-hmm. it's there's, it's not. It's it's very intimidating, but it's so friendly. Like there, it's so support. It's such a supportive group, and, and all the famous researchers, you know, um, or at least you know those that are published a lot. They want to do the the work, and they want to help you continue the work. So just those relationships have been amazing. I did my first presentation at a Northeastern Division meeting while I was seven months pregnant was terrifying, to say the least, and the room was full, Um, but it went really well. I mean, I got, you know, I got really good comments and I was able to answer the questions. But again, looking at, looking back on it, I was like, it it was a little bit intimidating, but definitely allows for great growth. I did become New York chapter president shortly after leaving grad school with my master's. Was the Northeastern division president trying to remember when probably after I think it was just after my PhD and that was the first that I served on the governing board as well as the management committee and the the people I met there were just amazing I love the diversity of disciplines that AFS has the number of people that just are so passionate about the work and the what AFS can do for us as professionals so they've been really my my solid foundation throughout my career as I've gone from different consulting firms to, you know, academics and now into state government. It's really an, an open society and no matter what level you're at, you can have a voice there. I think fostering, you know, students and young professionals to get involved, to get on committees and really be allowed to speak and talk. I I know being on the governing board, having some of the student reps on the governing board, I thought was really helpful. You get all different perspectives and, and AFS is really open to that. And I think fosters those relationships and, you know, getting to the meetings, getting in person, seeing people from either the, the big national, international level meetings to the small chapter meetings, I think is, is really important for building those relationships with people. As a consultant, I never had issues when I had to sit down with the state agency or a federal agency to dis- discuss any issues, we had mutual respect. We already knew each other, and mm-hmm. we usually solved our issues far before any of the other aspects. Right. So it's nice to already have that going in and not being, you know, afraid to to really speak your mind and and fight for what you think is needed for the resource and just you know everything. Everybody's thinking about it from the fish perspective, which yeah, I know it's just a lot of fun. So it's been it's been super important in my career and. Um, I definitely encourage everyone to get involved and, you know, don't be just a member, but get involved because you get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Speaking of being involved, I think one of the main questions people listening might be curious about and I'm curious about is why are you running for the second vice president of AFF?
1: This organization is just, it, it's meant so much to me. And I really, I, I want to do what I can to help keep it moving forward. I've tried to keep an open mind with the, what AFS can do, there was when I was on the governing board, there was definitely concern about us getting involved in policy. We need to be involved in policy. We need to advocate for our resource. Everybody should be doing that. I don't. I don't see that as a political move. I see us being scientists and having data to support. The positions we take on protecting natural resources, and I think our legislatures need to understand that, so that they can make the regulations and, and laws in line with the science. So I think that's really important work that we we need to continue. We need to make sure we're balanced, and and it is science based. I think that's critical as scientists that we don't go with our gut; we go with what the data tells us. I want to help. Others better understand the benefits of membership. I think Doug Austin's latest report is that membership is down. That concerns me. I, th- I think, you know, from the chapter level all the way up, we're all part of, we're all AFS. To say you're just a chapter member, no. AFS supports chapters. Chapters support AFS. You know, we're we're one. We're parts of a whole that without each other, we don't function. So really trying to, to get that message out to people so that they understand how much AFS relies on on members to do the work. And the members really rely on AFS leadership to bring issues to the forefront if they need to be at the national level or the regional level. So I'm just hoping I can do my part to elevate others. Throughout my career, I've always, it hasn't been about me, it's been how do I help others do their jobs better? So I, I would like to continue to do that for AFS as well. Yeah, Absolutely. What would you say your
0: vision is for the future of
1: AFS? I'd say it's kind of it's got three parts, so it's kind of like a three-legged stool, I guess. Uh, membership, again, AFS is has many vital parts to it. Really helping members to understand that, so developing different ways to get that information out. The parts are always the whole is stronger than than all the parts combined, and helping members understand that at the at the lower levels, at the chapters, within sections, and giving them a voice. So trying to find ways to help members understand from their peers within their chapter, instead of AFS leadership coming down and saying, you must be an AFS member. If your peers are telling you, so my idea is to have ambassadors within within chapters. I do that. You can ask the New York chapter members. I am... (laughs) I am I'm pretty good at saying oh you should be an AFS member you can't be just a chapter member and this is why so trying to to foster that and also on the flip side to recognize those members that don't get recognition let's start a membership spotlight in fisheries or you know on the Facebook page let's highlight those members that aren't officers that are doing some incredible work and in fostering what AFS is all about and I think if we recognize those people that, that aren't always recognized or, or feel left behind and, and what they're doing, all well, it's not quite important enough. All the work everybody's doing is important. So let's find other ways to highlight that. The second part is the diversity equity inclusion. As I mentioned, I was you know one of the few women in the room when I first joined AFS it's not just women and men. It's, I mean, we have LGBTQ, we have other ethnicities, other cultures. We need to be open to all of that. They all have great perspectives to bring great life stories to bring that can make AFS that much stronger um, and help lead us into the future, whatever that may be. Things are changing, cultures change. So being open and being able to have the conversations, not being afraid to, to bring them up. The, the, Southern New England chapter Northeastern division have a monthly DEI call and dialogue and it's just it's really just a discussion group and and trying to help people understand the issues. We don't all understand what they are. Being a woman I understand what the women's issues are, but yeah. I, I'm I'm a cis female. I don't understand trans mm-hmm. or bisexual or gay perspectives, I'd like, I'd like to have a place where I can discuss that and help my processing of, of how to incorporate that better. And if we're not talking to them, we can incorporate it. So really being open to, to all of the dialogues. And then the third kind of part of the stool is the students and young professionals. Again, continuing, I think there's been a lot of focus with them, which is good. I don't think that should stop. The students and young professionals really are, are the future of AFS. And they have great roles they can play they don't need to wait i remember when i was asked to run for the northeastern division president i'm like am i ready for this <laughs> i don't think i'm ready yet. like is this something i can do already i thought i'd have to go mm-hmm. further in my career to do this so really helping them understand it's all all that you want it to be there's nobody there's really nobody that's going to stop you if you're interested invested in and, and want to help the society, whatever role that is, whether it's, you know, an officer role, a committee chair or a member, I think that's all important. And students and young professionals, I want them to feel comfortable. I don't want them to feel intimidated. I want them to feel like they could come up and, and talk to, you know, their their idol of, you know, the, the top of the research that, you know, they're working on and like, oh my gosh, this person, I gotta go. You know, I'm afraid to talk to them. But really helping the, them to understand that the society society's for them as well. Awesome. Just to make sure was there anything else you had to say on that one? Or? Just, you know, raising awareness for people and and highlighting, you know, those that are doing the work that, that don't always get recognition for it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we've already covered my
0: last question, which is how to emphasize the importance of AFS membership. So I think we can move past that one, which really just leaves us our last five. But I usually also ask guests just because I'm curious, do you have any interests or hobbies outside of science and fisheries?
1: I like to hike and ski. The Adirondacks have a 46 high peaks. Um, that I've I've become an Adirondack 46er, so I have hiked all 46 of those. I'm trying to do them now in the winter. I'm a little slower at that, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a dream of mine since I was a kid of finally doing those. So it was it was great to have those done. But yeah, just getting just being outside whenever I can. I don't fish as much. I would like to be a little more active, so I like the movement of hiking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Once my knees. Fully give out of me. I'm sure I will start fishing a lot more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All
0: right. Just gonna double check. Is there anything else that I did think to ask about, or that you'd like to chat about before I move on to our last five?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would just think I'd just say, you know, for for AFS again, it's it, it's had a central role in my career, and it is all that you you make it. You can you can sit back and be on the sidelines. And not do much or you can dive in and get involved and meet some really amazing people learn about a lot of different research and perspectives that are going on now being in a state agency it's been nice to know some of the other people at other state agencies to say hey how do you do this what do you do Mm -hmm. what other ideas can we have so i think it really you know when you get involved it's smaller than you think and and people are really supportive i have not met anybody that isn't supportive of the work i do and and love to help help me do it better awesome
0: well what we call the tough part of the interview is now over and we're down to our final five questions that we ask each of the guests that comes on the show i personally think these are a little more difficult but you can decide
1: (laughs) the first is what is your favorite fish uh, I hate having to pick one. Yes. Um, I have one tattoo and it is of an Atlantic salmon. So I'd have to say that's awesome. probably my favorite fish. It was really the first, I mean, it was the first fish I researched mm-hmm. after growing up on, you know, having fished lakes in the Adirondacks. Didn't really know much about Atlantic salmon and their their whole you know, life history of migratory nature. But studying the landlocked population in Lake Ontario was pretty, it's pretty impressive to think that they journeyed up from the ocean into Lake Ontario at some point, and then used the tributaries for spawning. Some of them returned to the ocean and some probably became landlocked in, in Lake Ontario, but just a really neat life history. And, and I think a good metaphor for, you know, life and, and wandering and, and being willing to, to go against the current or, or go downstream and go with the flow. So awesome. What is your favorite
0: memory from your career so far?
1: this one's probably this one's one of the more hard ones to try to think about all that that I've done in my career and hopefully I'll be doing a lot more but really mentoring students and coworkers and helping them grow and develop again it's I really like to help others become the best version of themselves and the best scientists and encourage them to do that so I think that would probably probably be the best part of it so far yeah Awesome. What is your dream job and/or location? I, I love the work I'm doing right now. I love my job. I I'd have to say location. I I am fond of the Northeast, so I will I will stay in the Northeast. I have no desire to to work anywhere else. I think there's there's some amazing positives to be in the Northeast. Probably the one negative is the the impression that the Northeast people are uptight and uppity and <laughs> don't know how to stop. But <laughs> I I love. I love working for a small state agency. I love the diversity of work I'm allowed to do. And I, I like living where there's there's trees and water nearby. Yeah, very cool. All
0: right. If money was not an issue, what is one project you would like to work on?
1: Um, I think it's one that I'm currently working on. So I do a lot of work with Lake Champlain, with uh, salmonid management, with well, all the fisheries management out there, salmonids, uh, and lamprey control, take a bulk of the the money in the press, but there there's a myriad level of issues from climate change impacts to phytoplankton to invasive species. So really finding the the money to look at that holistically. Again, I, I try to think from the ecosystem perspective and look at how everything is linked. And if we don't have data on those things, we don't know how they're linked or, or how they're affecting each other. So really having a, an unlimited resource to to study all the all the species that are out there and how they how they work together in the habitats and how climate change is impacting those as well as how invasive species have changed them. So it's you'd think we'd have answer to some of the most basic questions, but we really don't. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of times you're like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why this is happening. We should have have we should have been, been collecting mm. some data. <laughs> So I think like any scientist, more data would be a lot better. Right. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Okay. Our last question
0: is if there's one pointer principle you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be?
1: It's this is actually one that's come to me a little more recently through my career. And as as I as I get older and try to remain open and not get stuck in my ways, ask more questions and give less advice. So again, people like to try to solve their own problems. They don't always know what that problem is. So trying to learn how to ask those questions to kind of get at the root of it and then help them think through how would you solve this um, as opposed to just coming up with the answer and giving it to somebody. My dad was an engineer and we butted heads at times, (laughs) but he'd ask to have something done and he'd be like, here's how you do it, dad, if you want me to do it. I'll I'll do it, but don't go telling me how, I'll Mm -hmm. ask you if I need some advice of how to do it, but I have an idea of what I want to do. And it was just, it reminds me to, when I ask people to do something like, do you, you know, do you have an idea of what I'm asking for? Do you want any guidance on how to do it? Or do you want to figure it out? Mm -hmm. Um, So recognizing people are really good at solving their own problems if given the chance and the right information and tools. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you, Margaret, so much for coming on the podcast today. It was really nice hearing about you and all of your interests and work with AFS. People want to get more information about your work or get a hold of you. How could they do that?
1: Certainly. They can email me at margaret.murphy.vermont.gov. Awesome. I hope
0: that you all enjoyed this episode. Just as a reminder, these elections are crucial in steering the long-term direction of the American Fisheries Society. Catch Elise's next episode to hear from the other second vice president candidate, and remember that you need to be an active AFS member to vote in this election. If you'd like to get a hold of me or the podcast, you can find me at KB Hindley on Twitter, and the podcast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Pod. or send us an email to feedback at the fisheriespodcast.com. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app, or stream it from Spotify or the And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome fisheries podcast shirts, hoodies, and stickers available on Teespring. I'm Katie Heinley. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fisheries Podcast. And remember, ask more questions and give less advice.